Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Podcast with Owen Murph and for the final time before he flies to Russia, Ken Early. Hi Ken. Hi Owen, how are you? I'm good, how are you Karen? Hey guys, missing you already. We, we have already released our World Cup preview today. Mm-hmm. So now is the time to address the thorny old question the GA has to consider once every four years. How to compete with this juggernaut that runs right through the middle of its football and hurling championships. The opening weekend of the World Cup alone has seven games on Saturday and Sunday. Featuring France, Argentina, Germany, Brazil. The kind of teams that sports fans want to see, yeah. is what I'm saying. So the GA this year has decided they'll attack this problem with a two-fold strategy. One, a fairly basic administrative approach. Just don't pencil in any games on the Saturday. Fair enough. That's that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> there, are, there are four matches on four World Cup matches. Four yeah, World Cup on the matches. I'm happy. I'm four World Cup on the, four matches in the World Cup on the Saturday. Yeah, yeah I'm happy to, to see that. I mean... Let's not go nuts here. You know, we're not saying let's take the entire weekend off. But have you seen what Saturday is like at the World Cup? Old? <laughs> it's pretty entertaining. Yeah, I feel I'm going to be in Sochi, Murph. Sochi yeah. on Saturday. What, what game and is what's, that for? Is well, the workload heavy? It's on just Saturday a weird. Or? It's just weird the way the days have fallen. Oh, go on. It's yeah. the only day in the World Cup when there are four matches. Yeah. I'm in Sochi. Mm-hmm. There's a match on Friday night, which is in Sochi, Spain against Portugal. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So good match. Next day, no match. Mm-hmm. Have to go to Volgograd early Sunday, Sunday. morning. Yeah, okay. But Saturday, no podcast, mm. no Sunday edition of Irish Times. Mm-hmm. Is Beach. this what they call presidential time? Kennedy <laughs> <laughs> presidential time. That's what Ken scheduled. Yeah, is. I've got, I've got, I've got about twelve hours of presidential time in the. Uh, in the uh, Black Sea Resort of Sochi, uh, penciled in for Saturday. So I have to say, Owen, it is pretty much the day uh, it, it, in the foreseeable future of my life that I'm most looking forward to. Glad <laughs> to know I won't be missing any, uh, any important J matches. No important J matches that day again. The second approach, this is a touch of genius, right? Fixtures, fine, but you do have to have fixtures on a Sunday. You can't just suspend the GA championship because of the work. That would be ridiculous. It's got someone. to continue. So what they decided to do is in the last Gaelic football match before the start of the World Cup, remember Gaelic football being the most similar sport within the GAA to soccer, Yeah. just have one of your most skillful players execute an extremely difficult soccer skill during a high-profile match for no other reason other than people can say, ah, you'd be lucky Sporting to see that acumen. now in, uh, in Russia. Yeah. Sporting ecumenism, uh, oh, that's what they call you it. You might explain the context, Murph, as I show Ken the little so piece of Donny skill. Donegal are playing down. Uh, Donegal's talisman, Michael Murphy. Oh, I've seen this already. Oh. Oh. I've, seen, I've seen it already. The uh, roulette. Yeah, nice, double uh, drag back. Yeah, nice. Good touch for a big man, <laughs> Ken. Not I don't bad. think there's any doubt about it. But is it, is it considered in bad taste, though? No, I think given the month that it is. I mean, obviously, if he tries to pull any of this shit in an odd-numbered year, oh, there's yeah. going to be hell to pay. Hell to pay. But oh, the right. fact that there is a football tournament on the... You've got to showcase the soccer yeah. skills. Like, I mean, it's essentially what Michael Murphy is saying, is that GA players are, could all be playing in the World Cup if they wanted yeah. to make loads of money out of their sport. Yeah. If Instead, we, yeah. <laughs> they're staying pure. <laughs> yeah, they're if staying you're home. Irish, step into the... Pr- I mean, real Irish. Yeah. That's fine. But also, you know, other people who like soccer, they're also allowed into the parlour 
for the month that the World Cup throw is him a, Throw him a bone. Throw him a bone. You know, why not? Incredible. We'll chat more about the football championship during the week. Michael Dagden is in today on Tip and Waterford's elim- elimination from the hurling championship. And Shane Horgan also today on what Ireland need to do to rescue their tour of Australia next weekend. It's a pretty big weekend of sport this weekend, though. And it kind of feels weird to be talking about how much sport there is next weekend. <laughs> yeah, when, uh, there were barely enough hours never start in the day this weekend. Yeah. I would suggest throwing James Lowe into the mix if I was Joe Schmidt. Maybe nobody will notice that he's not eligible to play for Ireland just yet. Got a couple of years to go. But James charmed everybody at the Cat Laughs last week and was good enough to share his experience of being struck down by illness as a teenager. So, yeah, like I was diagnosed in the summertime. I was 14 years old. I was playing cricket. Started off as a rash. Like, my parents, I guess, were probably the first ones to f- kind of figure out that something was wrong with me because I was just so lethargic all the time. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't get through a full day at school sort of thing. And then this rash just turned into something almost unbearable I went to the doctor they didn't know what was going on just threw, threw me on heaps of different medications and uh, at the end of the day I ended up going back to like the children's hospital and the dude was like yeah you've got a form of arthritis so um, so yeah and then it kind of developed from there I was on a drip three hours three times a day until one of the drips actually worked and then uh, had to plead to the government to subside to get a subsidy for this medication so then I could pretty much live and then um, I mean by about 17 I think I had my last real bad hit of it and then I mean since then I've been pretty sweet well, that sounds yeah yeah <laughs> that's brilliant that's amazing yeah come to the world service for James Lowe stay for our wall to wall world cup coverage kicking off today for everybody and continuing for world service members for the next five weeks you can sign up for the rest of this month if you want to do it that way and then decide at the end of June if you'd like to stay for the rest of the tournament and beyond all the info is on secondcaptains.com and it doesn't take long at all now there are ten weeks between where we are now and the All-Ireland Hurling Final that's an awful lot of time to kill for Tip and Waterford who both had major intentions to be there in the middle of August in the All-Ireland Final instead they're out of the championship entirety and the World Cup hasn't even kicked off Michael Dyken, how are you? I'm very good. We always knew this was coming for two teams. Uh, I don't think many of them expected Tip to be one of them, but uh, it's Tip and Waterford. Uh, do you have any sympathy for them now that it's actually happened? Uh, yeah, I think you'd have sympathy for any team that's gone out of the championship. And um, it's, it, it is very, it's very unusual. It's so early for such, as you said, two teams that have been um, involved in the knockout very late in the championship for, for quite a number of years now. And... Uh, I think we all sort of suspected Waterford might be there because of the home matches. Mm. And then, of course, they had all the bad luck with injuries and everything else and, and, uh, and the umpiring decision, which, you know, was huge in the context of what happened yesterday because they could have been going to Cork with a chance. So there's certainly sympathy there for the way their year worked out. Tipperary is a funny one. You know, I've, I, I fancied them to be involved. You know, uh, I thought it might have been Clare and maybe Waterford. I thought Cork probably would have gone through with Limerick and Tip. That was my own view of it. But strange year, you know, didn't really start to fire. But yet, two draws only beaten by two points had the game if Jake Morris had scored a goal instead of hitting the post they would have won yesterday yeah. and they'd be still in it even though they'd be limping along Yeah it's a phony one I've seen some people say it's not it's similar to the old knockout days when you have big counties like this out very early on but it's different though They've, they had four bites of the jerry They had two chances They had four, four chances yeah. and you know Kilkenny won Ireland won Ireland titles playing four games Yeah, yeah back in the old when I started playing yeah, yeah. but even under after one one Ireland with three, I think. Yeah, uh, Leinster semi final final and no All Ireland semi final. Yeah, that was eighty five. Yeah, there? and no, Galway, Galway would have been true yeah. to the semi final. You know, so it is it, it, like I I would have played in the knockout days and three years in a row we were beaten in the first round ninety one two and three Kilkenny won two All Irelands and two and three after beating us by a couple of points and like you're left saying Jesus have we got another day but you don't get the other day but this time round I don't think you can have any excuses like you do get your four the, the only couple of things and look it's been well talked about is is to me. When you enter a championship, it should be the same terms and conditions for everybody, you know. And and like Tip had the four weeks in a row, Watford will have four in a row, even though it doesn't matter now. Wexford had four in a row, and Offaly had four in a row. And Wexford are kind of limping through the last couple of games. Offaly are gone, Tip are gone, and certainly that was a factor with Tip yesterday. Like they did, they had that hunger they didn't have in the other matches, but had it early. They started well. They were they were much more aggressive, and um and you know I just thought they played way better. And yet you know. They just left Clare there. They limped along, you know, for, for at stages of the game. Mm. Um, but that is the, that's the championship. And look, we're going to look back at the end of it. And we said this over the last few weeks. We're going to look back and say, right, it's it's huge for the supporters. It's huge for the neutrals. It's huge for hurling fans. And but I suppose the human side and something I didn't consider when I thought about maybe last week was, you know, playing a big match. 
playing four matches in a row physically to me is no problem because you know, it's been done sure Dublin and go back to that Dublin me, me brilliant football and we had cleared three matches three weeks in a row I think you'll manage that but it's the psychological it's, it's a thing of you know back to work get over it get back training what do you do and you know then the following week and the following week and that sort of mental drain and you could see that I thought particularly with Wexford over the weekend as well that you know they brought in subs but they didn't make an impact where Kilkenny seemed to be that that sharper and finished the game stronger so look it, so that's what I'd like. I'd like to see everybody getting the same. And you have a, you have a, you have a three week break now to the Munster and Leinster final. Like so, there, there is room there. Like I don't use a panic to have teams out on the tenth of June, the seventeenth of June, the twenty fourth of June. Push it along and get your All Ireland final back to September where it should be, and then <laughs> we'll be all happy. So that's probably for another day. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about yeah, that yeah, one in yeah. August, maybe. But I mean, this is a seminal moment for this Clare team. Uh, we're leaving aside Tipperary, they finally went and won a game that was up for grabs in the last few minutes because we were here three weeks ago talking about this is a typical Clare performance where they kind of amble along they're in a game and the last five minutes they get beaten by four or five points we've seen it so many times over the last number of years so this is a huge huge moment for this Clare team I would agree with you I think it's um, I think it's their biggest win since the one they all earned which was one of their few wins you know like yeah. the, their record since is, a, is abysmal in the championship and with so much talent and we've talked about it. and it, it, I suppose it's done now and it's dusted and they've got that monkey off their backs. It's what what can we expect from them now? Because there is so much talent in the team, um, you know. And but like those sort that sort of decision making that I talked about before here, you know, it was still in evidence yesterday. There was a couple of good goal chances on there. A little flick of pass didn't happen. Um, hitting wides and and key players, you know, like Colin Galvin, Tony Kelly. Like Tony could have had five points in the first half and he hit two and he had three wides that he'd score in his sleep. And you could nearly see with one of them he didn't want to take the shot. Yeah. Uh, you know, that sort of lack comes. So will he come back to the very best form? Because if he does, he's, he has that ability to get seven or eight shots at goal and score them and, mm. and, and Galvin. So, um, and their backs might take a bit of confidence out of coming to grips with that good temporary forward in the second half, but they looked in trouble in the first half. And yeah. So those question marks are still hanging over them. Yeah, in a weird kind of way though, that's the easier bit. You know, they have so much talent. Like, you know, you would kind of back Claire to say, right, if Tony Kelly, if, if they can get some confidence from what they did yesterday, which is, you know, two points down going into uh, injury time, win a game by two points... If they can take the confidence from that, the hurling is, they're never going to be far away because they are so good. You know, like you are talking about some of the most artistically gifted hurlers in the country. So you kind of think, you know, that's just a confidence thing. And, you know, if, they, if the team can breed confidence, then the individual confidence of those brilliant players should be high and then they're off to the races. Yeah, uh, but, you know, you get games like yesterday, like a break or two of the ball, in the first half there was a couple of goals in for Tip like they look vulnerable at the back uh, Shane Murray was a sub who has great pace and I don't understand that Like, you, but you don't know what's going on in camps and form and training and everything mm-hmm. like that and he came in and made a massive and Podge Collins coming back like he, he was the turning point to me uh, you know Shane O'Donnell's work rate like even though like the simple chances that he won't just tap over the bar it's like as if you know, unselfishness is great, yeah. and, and you know I love that in a player that he gives the best option. But like, just times just flick it over the bar, and he passed ball just and they were blocked down afterwards that he could have scored himself. Yeah. But he he brings something completely different, like with his pace and his work rate, and 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 that ability to, to maybe pick the goal chance and to give the ball. So there's, there's there's that, but but I don't think you can underestimate maybe getting that monkey after backs and hurling maybe with a bit more freedom. And yesterday. You know, we, we talk about sweepers, we talk about puckouts and strategies and everything else, but like they were lamping the ball down on top of tip and it wasn't working, ball after ball after ball. Mm. And there didn't seem to be, and you know, in, when Don Lowe was there and Davey was there, it was all pinging short ones. And that wasn't, you know, so we can be critical in all sorts yeah. of ways, but there is a there is a mixture, like 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 Mark Fanning for Wexford, there is a balance to that, that, you know, you have to you have to vary it. And that was missing. And with all that, having all that been said, they still won it. But against maybe a Tipperary team that was on its last leg, so we might have to reta- just wait until after next Sunday to judge them a little bit more. Yeah, maybe. And you know, in a weird kind of way, what you're talking about there is, um, you know, Conlon too greedy, Shane O'Donnell not greedy enough, and then too much sort of tippy tappy stuff, and then too much long. You know, like a little bit of variation in Clare across the field. There, you know, well, that 21 team, you know, the the, the really good tw- or 21 teams. They they played with that variation, you know, and so maybe there's a maybe maybe they're trying to change change the system that they didn't want. To, there was too short, maybe with Davy Fitz and and Don Logue. Now they're saying we need to go more direct, and there was a lot of pressure on the people who wanted that. So maybe now the 
you know they'll find that balance between and and some of those players weren't on the 21 teams and you try to marry all that together so from that point of view and with the management and everything it might just give them that gel that they need and uh, you know as I say a bad player does, or a great player like Kelly doesn't become a bad player overnight and uh, um, I'm expecting fireworks from them again now next Sunday yeah exactly and next Sunday is uh, Clare against Limerick in Cusick Park and you talk about momentum, like Limerick have savage momentum coming into this now as well. And uh, you saw the crowd yesterday for a game that everyone expected them to win, 23,000. You know, the Limerick crowd is, they are unbelievable when they sense that there might be a, uh, a few wins on the horizon. Um, and they've integrated Shane Dowling back into the team, which is a big, you know, that's Not a too bad, addition. like 15 yeah. points after coming back. He wasn't, wouldn't even been playing. Yeah. Like, but see, it, 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 it is a... It is a a squad game now, as we know, is a 20-man game, and particularly with this system, and you're going to have matches. But Dow- Shane Dowling has... Shane Dowling has a fantastic... Um, he's a fantastic hurler, but, you know, uh, there might have been a few question marks. So, you know, he had a few injuries, maybe carrying a bit of weight. Great guy now. I don't know if, you, if you've come across him, but he's a super lad. And uh, so maybe got that little kick in the arse that he needed maybe with you know the younger lads coming in you're not going to be on this team automatically got his chance yesterday came out he was he was outstanding and uh, um, he might and have had a look at you know kind of what was required of Graham Mulcahy and Seamus Flanagan in the full forward line in Porky Cueve the last day and say right if this is the game I'm going to have to do something different to what I've, I've been doing in the past yeah but he looked really sharp as well and I, I've said this I think you know, with strength of panel Limerick, I think even ahead of Galway, I think Galway have have three or four great subs, but I think Limerick have have massive options, and I think it's one of the things that might why it might take them another year or two until they really find out about more of these lads and get to their strongest fifteen. Because I'd say there's very little between a lot of them now, to be honest with you. And uh, um, but but they are looking very like very tenacious and hard in the full back line incredibly physical across the half-back line and then all these range of forwards but, and some of them still only filling out like big Garrod Hegarty you know you're still very young and rangy but they, these lads are getting stronger and stronger Kyle Hayes, yeah. and uh, Kyle Hayes massive strong man uh, across the half-back line all six three or four so they have that physical size that you're going to need if you're going to trouble the Galway the situation in Leinster, Michael, is that all rounds are completed. It's Galway Kenny in the Leinster final. Wexford in the qualifiers. As you said, Wexford were falling over the line or trying to fall over the line a little bit, but they very nearly did it. Uh, would you be reasonably encouraged if you're following Wexford that despite the fact they got caught, they're not in, a, they're not in the worst situation. They get a qualifier against a team they should beat coming up from a secondary competition and then suddenly they're in, they're, they're back in the mix with a little bit of a rest in their legs. Yeah, the... They only needed a draw, and they end up a point short for you know, to get into the Leinster final. Well, so you'd feel sick today. I mean, maybe yeah. I'm being very philosophical on behalf of the Wexford. Yeah, <laughs> Davy had to go to ref. Like I was at the match, it, there was decisions, but it was both ways to be honest yeah. with you. And there was 16 wides each. You can talk about the wides, and there was that franticness to the exchanges and a massive partisan crowd from both sides. And there was there was one instant before uh, or in the in the second half where um, the Wexford crowd thought Parry Walsh picked the ball off the ground. I think he probably did, and. It, it ended up on a free game against Liam Ryan and the Wexford crowd down in front of me like they shook the stand like going <laughs> bizarre but the Kenny crowd erupted back at them and then TJ came over on the sideline in 65 where the meet put the ball down and the crowd went deadly silent and it was just to see the respect for TJ and he stuck it straight over the black spot you know it was nearly a, the, the final point in the game yeah. but um, I, I tell you I've seen uh, I've seen a lot of very good play out of Wexford. I've seen them a few times in the championship. The Galway game was disappointing for them in Wexford Park. Uh, they looked very, very flat that day. Um, and I suppose Galway are setting the standard. But outside of that, uh, and for a lot of the time, the, what they're doing and what they're trying to do, when they're doing it right, when they're moving these balls, spraying these puckouts, the support runners coming off them, uh, it is good. little bit of, still of overcarrying, I think, maybe not picking the man coming. Like, you know, There was a key moment where Paddy Foley was going up the field and Martin Keown and, and uh, Richie Lahey chased him down, took the ball off him, and Parik Walsh ended up popping it over the bar. A huge turnaround. He had a runner off his right and left, and he didn't give it in time. So I think they have to develop that part. I think it's now develop it again even a little bit further. And the second thing I would have been disappointed with from a Wexford point of view is is the subs coming in didn't make any impact. Now, when you're when you're getting tired near the end of that Kilkenny game, Kilkenny have come back and had their purple patch, you're still in it. You just need a draw. Brought in Jack O'Connor, brought in Harry Kehoe, uh, you know, lads that should be Chomping at the bit should be fresh because they've been left off. Should be coming in there to, to just get that score or two to finish it. Jack O'Connor hit a very bad wide from about forty yards, so that's worrying. Whereas the Kilkenny subs, like when they they were left off, they made three changes before the game. They brought on Kyo and they brought on Blanchfield, they brought on Richie Lahey, uh, they brought on Joy Holden, they brought on uh, John Donnelly. Every one of them made a massive impact, massive impact on the game. Um, like TJ Reid was 
No Kilkenny forward score from playing the first half. Amazing. I don't think I've ever seen it. And TJ got one point from playing the second half. No other starting forward score from play. But John Donnelly came on and got two. And uh, Richie Lahey got two. But apart from getting two, the hurling that man did in the second half was unbelievable. Uh, he was everywhere. So Kilkenny, the lads that didn't get picked showed Cody that they wanted to be on. And now you'll have Colin Fenley and Richie Hogan embarrassed, I'd say, by being taken off at half time, saying, right, we're going to double our efforts here and see no and Richie Hogan to be fair to Richie Hogan he hadn't played all year he had four shots of goal in the first half that went inches wide all of them he was sharp you know his first yeah. touch was good and he probably so Cody might have only had a plan for him anyway for a half or 40 minutes that's probably all that was in him and didn't work but that's not to say it won't work so Kilkenny will be encouraged as well and Kilkenny and Crow Park and Leinster final um, you know their record is not too bad there so <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be counting my chickens yet if it was a goal in yeah it's it's weird, you know. Like if you looked at it from the outside, not having seen the game, Wexford nine points up against a Brian Cody managed team in Nolan Park. The the mind wanders to the last fifteen years, and you say, you know, the aura did it, you know, or the Nolan Park factor, or Cody did it, or whatever. Do you know is that actually the case, though? You know, could you, you know, are we still pu- are we putting more stock in that than? Then you know you then you should actually you know that was it very much more a case of Kilkenny made a couple of tactical adjustments Wexford were out in their feet Kilkenny ne- edged it in the end or do you actually still have to pay respect to that idea of the aura of Cody and the Black and Amber? I think it's an aura of Kilkenny that that's certainly a factor. Like no, I remember my own playing as you were up but you were waiting for the comeback. You know you're waiting for them to get a goal or two and it happens so often. You know and it happens in hurling anyway. I think you know yeah. because you get ahead and you do relax a little bit and the minute you relax in hurling things can happen very yeah, quickly. You will the comeback into existence. You, you will the comeback. But tactically that was the big thing I saw um, and I've said I think I've said this a couple of times during the year. I do see a change in Kenny that they are varying their game. In the first half, they looked stunned by Wexford. And when they did get the ball in the road half, they had an extra man back. They didn't know what to do with it. And they were playing playing against them. They were just pumping the ball up the field and hoping that they'd win it in the air or whatever. And it wasn't working. Liam Ryan and Walter Walsh. Now, they had a great battle, but he had the physical power. So Walter caught a few balls when he was out in the wing, but wasn't really overly involved. But they did... They came out in the second half and they brought on Joey Holden to Mark David Dunn, who had been causing havoc, the speed of the man, and he created a goal, but he did a lot more than that. And Holden, who would be a cornerback, came on around the middle of the field, nowhere in particular. And then when Wexford started getting dragged in, then they start dragging him into groups of under puckouts, and Fanning didn't seem to have the options, and maybe they were getting tired, or, you know, and all of a sudden they start sucking them into the way they want you to play. The dead zone is coming de- last yeah, night. Yeah, we, we, yeah. We, we, we went through that you know, yesterday yeah, during the day yeah. when we, um, we, like we plotted every puck out there and whatever. But there was even, but then also like, okay, what are we doing? And first time we're getting the ball but we're not using, okay, so let's get the runner. So it's, the minute they got the ball, Parry Walsh was gone. Now this time, trying to get him, he he, he went up, he scored a point. Uh, was fouled for another one, was involved in another score. Holder went up and got a score. Enda Morris who was there supporting TJ. So, Somebody looked at the first half, went in in 10 or 15 minutes and plotted that. Now, I'm not saying it was Brian Cody because he's on the line. Um, Someone like Derek Ling, I would say. Guy mm-hmm. McGarry seemed to be very much on the line. But there's certainly a change in emphasis. And I've mentioned those two selectors before. Um, looking at it much closer. I think in the old days, Kilkenny would have come out and they might have come back at them. But nearly through what you were talking about, through that will and we're Kilkenny and we're in Nolan Park and we're not going to be beaten and the crowd. And, but this was actually, this was done very subtly and very sophisticated and... They, they got Wexford to play they want, the way they want them to. That's good management, though, by Cody, isn't it? Yeah. Even regardless of whether it's him doing the grunt work yeah. on it, him allowing that to be the case, and just recognising that the, you can't stick to your old ways entirely. You do actually have to read. He, he, he gives off this vibe when he does the odd interview in the off-season that's thrown at him. Remember one year, it was Nikita Duggan interviewed him, and he mentioned that. After Claire won the All-Ireland. Yeah, having Claire just revolutionised the game of hurling, and Cody's yeah. like... About, yeah. You know, like, wins the next two all Yeah, they win the next two. <laughs> but I'd say behind it all, he does look at what other teams are doing, and, and and he has to sort of think, okay, hurling has changed since I first started. I've got to evolve a bit, and also make the game play to how you, Brian Cody, want to play it as well. You know, make them puck it out into a group where there are five Kilkenny players, and then the stuff that you have built your managerial reputation on, which is when the ball is on the ground. That's yours. It maybe you takes know, more work ball. to do that now, though. Maybe it takes exactly. more work to get the other team into your trap. Yeah, look, I th- we could talk about this all day. He has he's changed his management team. He had Jared Henderson and Noel Skeen to start two legends, got rid of them, brought in Martin Fogarty, who was a brilliant coach, and he did his time. Uh, the one man that's been there all the time is Mick Dempsey. Completely underestimated. No, he's not underestimated by us, but their physical condition. Like the change in 
in players in one year. In Richie Lahey, since this time last year, to just, he broke a tackle at the end of the game, Dermot O'Keefe, he just went past him and stuck it over the bar from the sideline. He wouldn't have been able, <coughs> Dermot O'Keefe would have sent him into the stand last year, in 12 months. Like, it's unbelievable. And that's never, you never see any team getting tired in the last few minutes, ever. Uh, it's just that, so that's all going on in the background and no one knows much about it. You're not hearing about it. You're hearing about other counties. Oh, we're going up this hill and down that hill and <laughs> everything else. They just do it and get on with it. I think he brought in uh, the lads and I think he's clever enough to know, he's you know, he's, he's dealt with kids all his life, younger kids. The, teen, the 18, 19 year old is different now than he was 10 years ago even. And you know, Ling and McGarry maybe more clued into that. There's other people involved in the background and able to communicate with them and, and get through to them. Because I thought he might have been struggling a bit with a group of those younger players maybe last year or the year before. But that's all seems to be res- resolved now. They're, they're all on the same wavelength. Now, they're not the same quality, some of them, as obviously the players that were there. Like That was a one-off, exceptional group and where they integrated. But what he did do, and I would think this is the big difference between Kilkenny and Tip, maybe why Tip are gone today and Kilkenny are still in the Leinster final, is Brian Cody integrated those young players and he brought. He had no choice last year. He brought in a whole gang of them. Where's all the tip miners from a couple of years ago? One day, Ireland. Jake Morris is the only one. Like keeping the same panel. Lads that have, I don't mind keeping your top fourteen or fifteen. They're obviously all well established. But there's another eight or ten players in the tip panel that have been there for four or five or six years. They haven't made it, and they're still there. Where's all the young? Bring in these nineteen-year-olds, twenty-year-olds. You have to. And tip didn't do that. Whether they didn't trust them or didn't think they were ready, but Cody did. Now Cody, that's a change from him as well. He looked at Tip in 10 with 521s, Clare in 13 with 521s of their starting team. Kilkenny were going where you had to be 22, 23 to come in. We saw that with TJ Reid, Eddie Brennan. They all had to serve their time. Now he had no choice, so he changed. He brought them in. And he spent 12 months with them. And look at the change in John Donnelly, Martin Keown, Richie Lahey. He can go on and on and on. James Maher in the middle of the field. Um, and then the Morrissey and all. We didn't know any of these lads 12 months ago. Now they're all firmly established on the squad. And now they have, at the end of this Leinster final, There'll probably be 20, I don't have to, I'll, I'll look at it during the week, but I'd say there'll be 23 or 4 lads have played championship for Kilkenny this summer. Yeah, easy, yeah. All right, just a very quick word in Galway, Michael, before you go. We, there's not too much to say about them at the moment because they're just relentlessly marching on, but but what are your, they're the only team in the two groups to have won all their games. A decent statement? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm really impressed with the way they've set out their style. They're key men again. Like the only thing to me that's, is the key men are so important. Like everyone's key man. TJ Reid, obviously, for Kilkenny, mm-hmm. but Galway have Dahi Burke, McInerney, Joe Canning, David Burke. Ha- you know, right up the middle where they have their centre. Any one of them goes, you start saying, where are they going to figure that one out? But look, they have been, they've been very impressive and I didn't mention Conor Whelan and Joseph mm-hmm. Cooney. You could go on and on at different stages. All look so sharp. All look so focused. Parik Mannion, possibly the most underrated hurler in the country at the moment. And like, you can, you can not, t- not for now. I think he's, I think he's hurler of the year at the moment. Yeah, I agree. I think he's phenomenal. And so, Look, they're doing what they have to do. The other day, we want, you know, it was a dead rubber the won the game, but um, and and probably getting there. You know, people talked about Kilkenny over the years, maybe getting through Leinster that bit easier than Munster teams, and obviously, it you know it has been a little bit less competitive for them. Leave them nice and fresh going into the Leinster final. So, yeah, at the moment, they're the team to beat. Okay, great stuff, Michael. Brilliant. Thanks, a million lads. 2018 World Cup in Russia will be up to the highest standards. Soccer is popular. From bottom of my heart, thank you. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. Little squat man leaves it for dead. Dennis Bergkamp let the ball in! Dennis Bergkamp! Dennis Bergkamp! For the next month and a bit, we will be unleashing the happiest of podcasting creatures on you guys, Ken Early, at a major tournament. Even happier now, Murph, that he gets a rest day on just the second day's play in Sochi, which I did not know it's about. Not it's not a rest day. Oh, like, that's, we've just well, covered that. We've literally just covered how it's not a rest day. It's presidential time. Oh, okay. Of course. So please. It's, it's literally... The man's hard at work. It's literally not a rest day. On. There are four matches on. Mm-hmm. He's probably going to have to meet up with a lot of other colleagues in a similar situation. No, there'd be barely anyone there. They'll all be going off to Rostov. Oh, even even no, better was, for a kid. No, I was meant to be going to Rostov for the Brazil-Switzerland game, but it's impossible to go there and then go to Volgograd and then go to St. Petersburg on three consecutive days. Oh, sure, sure, who are you telling, kid? Big yeah. country. Everybody, I mean, that's the oldest, hoariest chestnut in the book, really, it is. isn't it? But this is often this is a thing I found at tournaments. You often miss a lot of the tournament. It's not like sitting here with, like you'll be. 
Wasn't that Con Hula who said it first again? Yeah, well, he was referring to, to I think a real a social happening mm. in Ireland, mm-hmm. which I, which this World Cup probably isn't going to be. It's probably going to be just a lot of sports fans sports watching fans matches, watching, watching yeah. football, and then politely shuffling off home afterwards. But you you literally do miss it just because of your if you're traveling around, you can't see the game. So it's a rare, and I'm glad that it's happened on that one day when there's four matches. In the most beautiful of all of the, I wouldn't. I don't know if it's the most beautiful, but it is the one with the best weather. Certainly the warmest. One yeah. of the fancier <laughs> parts of it. All right. What <laughs> early assignment or what is what game are you looking forward to most? That space, Portugal, Spain. Portugal, Spain. Yeah. Pretty That's good. Amazing. Because a lot of the other games are not really what you would think of as. Wow, I can't wait to be at that game. You know what I mean? It's like there's some interesting matches. Like I'm going to two of the England matches, although not the Belgium one because of where it is. It's in like Kaliningrad, and also the fact that it might be dead rubber. So it's a long way to go if it is. Yeah, you never know with England. Sometimes the stories can happen in lower I, profile matches on paper. I've been looking at like looking at Tunisia's results. Like those boys do not lose a lot of games. <laughs> so you know they just lost one nil to Spain most recently, but it was like tight. Total grueler. Um, uh, You've sent us our schedule: June twenty fifth to Moscow. France, Denmark, and Brazil, Serbia. Brazil, Those two sound like pretty good games. Yeah, they they they'll be good. I'm going to two, I'm going to two Brazil games. It's meant to be the three, but only two because I can't go to the Rostov one. Mm. But the one in Saint Petersburg against Costa Rica, Russia against Egypt as well. So Salah, did you see Mo Salah being paraded around um, with Ramzan Kadyrov, the Chechen leader? No. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was. Yeah, he's Salah just standing there like a kind of. Grinning like a waxwork dummy while uh, Ramzan Kadyrov gets the big paws on him. It is a scouse tradition, of course. I think Steve McManaman and Robbie Fowler have been down Grozny Way <laughs> before, <laughs> hanging out with Ramzan and Diego and right. various other uh, luminaries. But, they weren't uh, supposed to be resting a, an injury, though. Well, I actually I knew that they had been there to play a match, so I went to look for a photograph of them posing with Kadyrov. But I think maybe he didn't realize that, or they weren't important enough. Oh, unidentified. Whereas. Fans. When Mo- yeah, exactly. Unidentified fans, you know, pose with Ramsey and Kadir. But in this case, it was uh, Kadir was like, ah, Mo Salah. You know, this guy's kind of a big deal. And uh, there's there's any amount of footage and photographs that Salah standing there looking just a little bit uncomfortable with these other things you've got to do. There's a lot of confidence around, or there was certainly, that Ireland could go down and win a series in Australia this summer. But they're going to have to do it the hard way after the first test defeat. Shane Horgan, are you still reasonably confident? <clears throat> well, you know, as you say, one down makes it more difficult. But I don't think from what we saw at the weekend that Joe Smith will be thinking there's no way um, we can win the series or there's certainly no way we can win the next game. They win the next game and then they're in, in a dogfight for the series in the last game. Um, you know, the Australian team performed well. They, you know, maybe a little bit above expectations. Maybe Ireland were a little bit below expectations. But I think... There was, you know, key indicators from both sides of, you know, what to do to to beat the Aussies. Shane, I don't know watching it I, if you felt the same, but it felt like Ireland were facing the kind of team in Australia that they really struggle with. In that they were at least equal, if not better, at the breakdown than us. They were better in the air for sure, and just as fit and hard working. They they could go the eighty minutes no problem. So what we saw was Ireland forced to do things they're, I suppose, worst at is create chances rather than, say, grind a team down or go through the phases and hope uh, they eke out an error from the opposition. Yeah, um, I think you're exactly right. I think the three uh, elements that I, 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 I've written down here in front of me, uh, and I wrote them down during the game, was that you know Australia or Ireland didn't dominate the air. Uh, Australia had an advantage there. They, they weren't as effective at breakdown as, as they normally are, and so they were turned over. Um, in you know, they turned over, I think, twenty times, or there was a, a change of uh, possession twenty times, which is you know kind of crazy for an Irish team. Those two things alone are normally enough to spell you know big trouble um, for Ireland, and you know the the uh, create that those uh, things, in particular the turnovers, created slow rooks, and then um, there was there was missed uh, a couple of missed touches, and then you know, there was a missed kick to throw in, thrown in as well. So um, you sort of add all those things together, and it's almost a perfect storm for an Irish team. So then, I think it's quite an interesting week for Joe Schmidt, actually, because he's facing the same opposition again, because he knows the kicking game is gone. And, and the, the, the breakdown of the kicking game are connected, I think, Shane, in that 
because Conor Murray was kicking so little and because Australia knew they had us in the backfield there and that we wouldn't kick as much, then Pocock and Hooper are sort of waiting for us to try and go through the phases. So they just can sit back a little bit and they don't go for every rook. They attack certain rooks. They can sort of pick and choose. They kind of knew what was coming at them. So the fact that we don't kick, they know we're going through the phases and then we're a little more predictable. So Joe Schmidt has a really interesting job this week, I think. Yeah, and it, there's actually an, even another layer on that. You're right. When we do become p- predictable, uh, and the kicking option isn't, um, you know, s- such a is, isn't utilised or you know wasn't utilised in the way it it should be or the way it could be effective. You're right. It just allows a little bit more of a gre- a- aggression in defence. That again slows up the ball or allows, as you said, those two guys to identify when they can get in and either turn the ball over and slow it up. And then there's knock-on consequences of that. And then it, the ball can't really be moved off 10 in any way. And the slow rook ball means there's no momentum going forward. There's no tempo in the game. And then you have what we saw from Ireland is a, you know, a standing start ball going from nine to a first receiver forward with, yes, options on either side, but not particularly viable options because everybody's standing still. There's not much momentum. Yes, guys, the, the players are putting a bit of footwork on it. And against the weaker teams in the Six Nations, that's that. You know, Ireland can bully opposition and get over the game line and maybe turn some of that ball into fast rook ball. But against a super aggressive Australia side who are very physical, used to you know tackling and, and knocking back South Africans and New Zealanders, um, there wasn't easy yards to be made there. And then you throw in the two guys, um, uh, you know, uh, you know, realistically, the both of them are sevens. Um, then that means you know, trouble for Ireland. So I think there's a bit of thinking to be done around um, what sort of you know, team they pick next week and what, um, what sort of game plan they implement. But I, I, I'm not scared by this Australian team. I think they've got, a, uh, you know, they've got good players. Um, they've you know, they played well at the weekend, but I don't think they're a side that you think, oh, I don't know how we're going to beat them. I think, you know, I think there is, there's a fairly you know, obvious way to, to beat this side. Oh yeah, what, what do you think that is? Well, I think you know two things. You know, you have to uh, you have to um, change the, the the story with um, uh, with with the kicking game, and you cannot allow Israel Folau to have that level of yeah, of impact on the game. And there's a, number, there's a number of ways you can do that. Uh, number one, you don't kick to him. <laughs> number two, you make sure the ball hits the, um, hits the ground, and you know you pay a sort of a, a more um, traditional old uh, old school sort of northern hemisphere uh, type of kicking game where it's more about uh, territory, and you're really chasing to to either you know make someone um, to tackle someone when they've picked the ball up off the ground, or um, you know have them in a position where they're kicking the ball out, and then you've got sort of a beachhead in there. Our opposition. The other ones you have to uh, figure out. Um, uh, you have to figure out the breakdown. So um, I think you know, it's a perfect game for Dan Levy. He's a guy who can compete against these. And I, I also think we, you know the ball carrying has to be looked at as well because um, I, I was a bit disappointed in you know how uh, aggressively Ireland carried the ball. But again, that's a knock-on consequence of how slow the ruck ball is. You know, I, I think uh, I think you know. A, a look again, a re-examination of the roles and a refocus on the on the rook could have a huge impact on the game next week. You you have mentioned aggression quite a few times, Shane. You've said that Australia were were particularly aggressive, and that, that was noticeable watching the game. Do you think that maybe took Ireland aback a little bit in that Australia are the one Southern Hemisphere nation that we don't necessarily associate with that side of the game? Um. You know, I don't think you should be ever be surprised at the aggression of a side uh, at international level, and especially a Southern Hemisphere team. And it's you know, it's not as if they're a soft touch. You know, they and if you've seen a couple of games that they played uh, in the last uh, Rugby Championship and in the game that they narrowly lost um, to New Zealand in in, in New Zealand, and then the 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 one that they won in Australia. You know, they were extremely physical games. Also, they have. You know, although not monsters uh, throughout the team, and it's not like you know we can we can say that uh, Ireland aren't a, aren't a physical team because Ireland are a physical team, but they just maybe just didn't um, you know bully this um, Aussie team in the in the way that they have done through the Six Nations, and they have bullied teams right the way through the Six Nations. Even even someone like France when they came down, I know it came down to the last kick, but for large parts of that game, it was very comfortable for Ireland. Um, and then for the rest of the Six Nations, all the way through, 
they bullied every opposition. And I think if you look at you know what Leinster have done as well in in the tail end of the season, a lot of it has been uh, bullying play. And and you know maybe it shouldn't have come a surprise. Um, that they weren't going to be able to do that to a Southern Hemisphere team, but uh, you know that physical aspect was definitely one element of it. But it wasn't as if um, that was the element that overwore Ireland or made it impossible for them to win. I think you know some of the other elements of, of the sort of more tactical play were were more key. Yeah, and a lot of the big hits I thought were actually down to Irish indecision or just looking too predictable. One of those, for example, was Bundy Aki, who was in quite a good position in midfield. This is in the second half. It actually eventually led to the flout try that wasn't allowed. was in a great position. Henshaw ran a line that took away a couple of defenders. He actually even ran into the Australian defenders. So Aki had, I think, Larmer and Carney outside him and then paused once or twice and then got tackled behind uh, the gain line and, and things sort of followed on from there. Um, Curtly B played very well in the ensuing phases. But I just thought a lot of the times Ireland got hit hard, it was actually down to their own errors. Um, but another thing I want to point out to you Shane I don't know if it's a theme or if it's something that can be fixed or if it's just a one-off but three times Ireland were in possession three of their best attacks uh, charging towards the Australian line the Australian defence scrambling and Ireland kicked the ball I don't know if you remember one of them was uh, Earls in the first half and it was Flau actually kind of blocked it but he'd he'd flagged it so much the Flau knew he was going to kick it another was Stockdale on the other wing in the first half and it was only sort of a half chance but he kicked it went straight into touch when he could have taken it into contact and the third and most glaring one was Conor Murray when he made a lovely break off the edge of a scrum, he had sex and screaming for it on the outside. And then it was the wrong idea and the um, poor execution uh, to put it over the try line. But even if it had been a good kick, the Australian cover was there. I just thought it sort of really stuck in my mind as the what was the epitome of what was wrong with Ireland. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that because those kicks don't come from the normal position where you have people making those kicks, and all the you know the the well, certainly with Earls and and, and Connor Murray, you know they're very experienced guys, and they're normally good decision makers. Uh, Stockdale as well, like has proven himself actually going forward um, to to be a good decision maker, and he has kicked the ball on occasions, but it, it has worked out for him. So I don't think it's you know necessarily. Um, coming from um, you know a, a naivety about when you should kick and you, you can't. I think it's almost maybe um, they have a little bit almost you know overconfidence in their skill level at the moment. You know, in some of those decisions, I go, listen, I, I'm prepared to take that sort of more more risky option. Right. Uh, and I think it, it just on those occasions, it, it didn't work out. And you know, you don't want to you don't want to sort of inhibit people from from you know sort of going for something but you know it wasn't the right option in either case but the fact that they have the sort of confidence to to be able to back themselves in some ways I quite like that um but they just need to be a little bit more more discerning about when they do it how do you think Joey Carberry fitted into all this it was a pretty solid performance as Joe Schmidt described although he did lament an important missed kick there Shane we're presumably going to see Johnny Sexton back in next week anyway but this is a big one for Joey yeah, it was. You know, um, I think it was it was the right move. You know, starting him. Although I do get kind of to get half a feeling that overall, I don't think you know, you know Joe was necessarily. It was unexpected that, that they were going to you know play this game. I just think with the with the selection, it was more more in hope than I think than um, than, than necessarily nailed down belief. Um, but you know, Joey did have like you know he had a, a you know a solid enough game. I would have liked to have seen him take more ball, and I'm sure he would have as well. And there, you know, we did get back into that uh, stationary carries that, and like a ten, like Joey must find that you know frustration frustrating as well. And you know, there there was there's a number of reasons for it, but I do think there is you know there's a there's a, a mindset that sometimes that's ac- acceptable. And I think we need to change our. Um, our thought pattern around, you know, how you take a ball and and you know, taking stationary ball is it's very very uh, seldom that something you can turn that into 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 faster ball. So I think we need to change that mindset a little bit, especially against the good sides. And I think that our mindset was more in, um, you know, the first four games of of the um, of the of the first uh, four games of the Six Nations and not the fifth one against England where I thought we played with a different type of ambition I would have liked to seen you know Joey in a team that was sort of playing with that kind of mindset um, as opposed to I think a little bit more of a reduced one that they were playing with against Australia 
have to say, watching Curtly Beale uh, at the weekend, Shane, I thought more and more about your idea of putting uh, Joey in at 12. That's not going to happen anytime soon. But just on Beale himself, I thought he was absolutely brilliant. Would you have a special plan for him next week? Because he made everything tick in the back line. And he was the one who made Falao look good quite a lot of the time as well. Yeah, I think I, I think they'll change the centres. Um, and I think Ringo's will come in. Um, in, you know, in attacking the, the the mix with Henshaw, I think is is a you know is better suited to Ireland play. There's more options. I think Ringrose is a very very good defender. I think don't get me wrong. I think Bundyaki and Henshaw are you know, very very solid in the way they defend, uh, very physical. But um, I just Ringrose has an intelligence that he can almost see you know one pass ahead, and he's very instinctive on on what's coming his way. And then as soon as the opposition executes it, he reacts amazingly quickly, especially in the back, in the you know in the, in the secondary line. So you know I I do think you know the plan you know when you have a pl- a plan for a twelve you know distributor, what are you going to try and do? Get up a little bit faster into his face, um, take away his pace a little bit. But you got to be careful not to leave any sort of uh, elbows for him because his footwork is so good you know he's so quick and so agile and then when he when he you know whether he gets through a gap or sees a, even a ball over the top he's well able to execute that as well so you know that's you know he's he's just one of uh, australia's excellent players that you're going to have to deal with but you know the real source of of the issue for him is you know balls are turned over if um, the ball is, is is kicked back and our defensive line isn't straight and the or, and the and the ball gets to him, or if the you know the ball just is is um, recycled really quickly and with uh, with uh, excellent tempo and the line isn't reset, they're all going to play into the hands of Curly Beal and allow him to impose him his game plan and his you know his higher level skill on in Ireland. So. Um, I think if you address the other issues that they need to be addressed anyway in order to win a game, I think you see a less influential Curtly Beale. Well, hopefully, we'll see what happens. Shane, brilliant stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks a million. Timbuktu. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. Inside and outside blue they don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate on the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sigthorsson. Oh, oh my word. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sigthorsson. <laughs> just cannot. Listen, Ken, I know you're not that bothered about what happens in Australia. You're more concerned about the struggles of your favourite coach. Well, poor old Eddie Jones has lost another one, Ken. What's this that? time in South Africa. This time in pretty spectacular <laughs> circumstances. 24-3 up after less than 20 minutes. Uh, England were. Uh, and then they collapsed to a 42-13. They were 24-3 up after 20 minutes. They were behind by halftime. And they ended up losing the game of 42-39. At least they got the collapse over with quickly. Yeah. I mean, it was... Uh, yeah, it happened fast. But... Worst news for our friend Eddie, yeah. because it seems like he's fudged up oh, no. in a big, di- in a major, major way. Man of the match, Faf de Klerk, South African scrum half, uh, said, "Well, of course, England flagged. Uh, we knew they were based in Durban, and coming from the UK, the altitude was going to be a factor. That was our plan from the start. But we didn't have the ball in the first twenty minutes. We've been down by a lot of points before, and for some reason, we always seem to come back. I think the altitude plays a part, as do the fans and the fact that it's Ellis Park." England made a few errors they don't usually make and that played into our hands. So basically they didn't bother 
handling the altitude, which is basically all anyone <laughs> ever talks about of when they go to South Africa. Africa. Please, you know, just make sure you've got yourselves right for altitude. They're doing the they're making the exact same mistake next week for the second test in Durban. So, so after f- I think a lot of these England players are overrated, though. Go on. Well, I just don't know. You expect him? To, you expect Eddie Jones to just make a silk purse out of a sow's ear? Well, he had done so in his first twenty-five games because he had won twenty-four of those matches leading up to the second game and of this year's Six Nations. In fact, leading into the third game, and the only defeat in those first twenty-five were, of course, to the scummy Irish. Yeah. So it appears he's made a sow's ear out of the silk purse, yeah, which sou- he previously fashioned from said sow's ear. The sow's ear is compiled of three defeats in a row in the Six Nations, then a loss to the Barbarians, which we probably shouldn't count, but we definitely will. Because they now, conceded 60 points. Yeah, they 60 odd points. I know this shocker. Five defeats in a row, Ken. There's your says here. Well, five defeats in a row is... Not good in rugby. No. Most sports <laughs> in rugby. Let me tell you one thing about rugby. It doesn't sound too good. Your, your average rugby fan just doesn't... <laughs> st- he just doesn't stand for five defeats in a row. It, do, it does st- sound as though the Eddie Jones regime has, has tumbled into a, a death spiral... Um, Not entirely of second captain's own making. I mean, it's sure, we've been Irish. Well, look, I we think we played our part, part. Yeah. I, I still, I still think that he's a, a a very fine coach, and what's more important, a very fine human being. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. <laughs> Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Karen. Looking Thanks, to Owen. Chatting and to you goodbye, Ken. Ken. Goodbye and good luck and safe travels. I love you, Ken. I love you. Thank I wouldn't you go that far, but best of luck. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.